Here we are today, the greatest, most wealthiest nation on earth. And it's because of that wealth that we have become proud, arrogant, prideful. Malachi 4 verse 1, for the day is coming, it's burning like a furnace, when all the proud and evil doers will be stubble. The day that is coming will set them ablaze, says Adonai Sevaot, and leave them neither root nor branch. Rulers of nations are brought down because of pride. A grave warning to all of our own leaders today. I'm not going to, this This is both parties for America. I, I'm not going to pick on Republicans or Democrats. I'm going to pick on them all. You've got senators and congressmen that are making $140,000 or $150,000 a year. And in 10, 15, 20 years, they're multimillionaires worth 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, $100 million, even more. How does that happen? How does that happen? How do you get 150000 a year, and in 10 years, you're now multi-million? And let me tell you, you don't make money like that in the stock market. You don't make money like that in real estate investment. So what, what, what are we seeing here? But we're seeing corrupt, evil leadership in all the top branches of our government. They're all corrupt. And God says he will deal with them at a national level. Daniel 5, verses 20 through 21, but when he grew proud and his spirit became hard, he began treating people arrogantly. So he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. And who are we talking about here? But Nebuchadnezzar, he had this dream and Daniel interprets it. And he becomes so prideful, so arrogant, so haughty, he commanded that a statue be made of him. And whenever the bagpipe sounded, everyone had to kneel down and worship them. He thought he got himself to this position when it was the hand of God. And again, in verse 20 of Daniel 5, when he grew proud and his spirit became hard, he began treating people arrogantly. You know, we're at a place in time in our nation today that we, the people, are being treated arrogantly and with contempt. Our government is set up that they serve us. We are the government, and they are to carry out our wishes and desires. Here we are today. Our capital has a barbed wire fence around it to keep who? We, the people, away from our government buildings. Can I put a reminder out here that the Capitol and the White House, that's not the king's palace. That's not the king's courtyard. We the people, that belongs to us. You and me, our taxpayers, money. We paid for that. That belongs to us. That is us that own that. Not a king, not a dictator. And so when the pride and arrogance get in, people begin treating those others arrogantly. And because of this, Nebuchadnezzar, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was driven from human society. His heart was made like that of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed with grass like an ox and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he learned that the most high God rules in the human kingdom and sets up over whomever he pleases. This is a warning to our nation's rulers. This is a warning to every nation's ruler. This is a warning to Netanyahu in Israel. God alone establishes authority upon this earth. And the minute we get arrogant and haughty, think, oh, no, I did this. He will remove us until we learn this principle of God. Pride must be dealt with in order to allow us to prepare as a body. 
In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, then if my people who bear my name, listen, and we've been, this has been incessantly talked about for the last year in the midst of this pandemic and all the things and the rioting and the anarchy we've experienced, the chaos in our nation, our, our racial inequality, the racism, the anti-Semitism. But here's the key. Then if my people who bear my name will humble themselves, will humble themselves, That means we cannot have an arrogant and prideful heart. That means we have to have a broken, contrite heart. We have to come before the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. If we will humble ourselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. There's been some prayers being petitioned for this nation to the Most High God, but I don't believe we've humbled ourselves. I don't believe the nation has repented yet. To be humble is to have an absence of pride. Are you headed for a fall through pride? Let's let's review some manifestations of pride. And if one or more of these apply to you, then it's time to seek God. It's time to pray. It's time to fast. It's time to stand in a gap. It's time to turn yourself back to his kingdom that you may approach him with clean hands and a pure heart, that your business will be successful, that your ministry will succeed, that you'll be victorious only if we're humble and don't have pride. Number one. Pride makes us feel special and unique. We've been talking about this. And this is not referring to the uniqueness of God creating us in his image. It's the self-esteem which makes you feel more important than others in the body of Messiah. Does this relate to you? Number two, pride leads to concentration on our rights instead of our responsibilities. Are you looking at how your rights have been violated instead of looking at how you can be responsible and accountable to God? A humble heart requires that we give up our right in being wronged. Yeshua said, how blessed are those who are persecuted for being messianic. Listen, you have to forgive. You have to let it go. You have to give up your right in being wronged. Three, pride produces hardness of heart. Are you insensitive to the needs of others? Has all this chaos and anarchy desensitized you to what's happening? The first sign of pride is when we begin to withhold love from others. It says, in that day, their love will grow cold. Why is that? Because of increased distance from Torah. Love is growing cold in America today. Four, pride produces a lack of forgiveness. Why should I forgive them? They hurt me. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? Do you hold unforgiveness in your heart? Listen, that's a soul tie. That other person probably doesn't even know that they've hurt you or have offended you. But yet by your soul tie to this this unforgiveness, you're a captive. You're being held in a cage. You have to let it go. You have to forgive. Five, pride produces self-pity. This is a victim mentality, which is all over our nation today. It's in the body of Messiah. Self-pity is a bottomless pit. It's never satisfied. Too many times we fall into self-pity because we violate the scripture that tells us not to compare ourselves among ourselves. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, oh, don't worry. I wouldn't dare say that I'm as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are but they're only comparing themselves with each other and measuring themselves by themselves. What foolishness, Paul says. Don't compare ourselves to others. Don't look at your ministry compared to someone else's ministry. Don't look at your business compared to someone's other's business because this leads to something else that we're not even talking about today. It then produces jealousy. Jealousy. Why did the Sanhedrin want to kill Yeshua and stone him to death? They were jealous because of the power of God that was working through him. If you started getting successful in your business, if you start becoming successful in ministry, you will immediately provoke 
others to jealousy, something we have to be very careful about. Number six, pride produces fear of man. Are you more concerned with what people think than what God thinks? And this is so prevalent today. This is the cancel culture. This is the, hey, you have to do what I say, what I do. Amazon now banning books. What, are you kidding me? What's next, burning books? There are usually several causes associated with this. One, we haven't seen the greatness of God through the situation. Or two, our focus is on ourselves rather than God. We don't fear man. We fear Adonai. Do not have a man-pleasing spirit, as Paul said. Number seven, pride produces an unteachable spirit. Now, I've talked about this numerous Kadima talks. There must be a teachability. A humble heart without pride or arrogance allows you to have a teachable spirit. The minute, the minute we think in our heads, man, you know, hey, listen, I'm an ordained rabbi. I've been in ministry for 21 years. Been there, done that, wore that T-shirt. That's a very dangerous place because then that leads to long times before there's conviction, that there's not repentance. There's not a move of the Holy Spirit. If it takes a long time, there's more work for the Ruach needed in your life concerning pride to remove this. If you have an unteachable spirit, you're being ruled by arrogance, haughtiness, and pride. Pride prefers selfish interests over others' needs. What are you interested in? Is what you desire, what you want more important in the congregation than what other people need? Nine, pride does not admit mistakes. Pride won't ask for forgiveness. Pride prevents repentance. Are you a person that says, man, I'm always right? Do you blame others and excuse yourself and then say, hey, you're picking on me? Hmm. Ten, pride leads to stinginess. Now, who'd have thought? You know, we talk so often about tithing, and there's a great debate. There's, there are those today that say, well, you know, we don't have a temple anymore, and, and we're, we're not farming, so we're not bringing in our goats or our lambs. or You know, that's all nonsense. That's a deception straight from the pits of hell. God says to tithe a minimum of 10% upon whatever your increase is, whatever your income is, whatever God blesses you with. And then we've got other times above and beyond throughout the year of offerings, the Shalemim offerings. Why? Because it's all his, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But pride, pride will bear out in stinginess. And pride will say, if I tithe, how will I buy groceries? Pride says, well, if I tithe, how will I put gas in a car and make the mortgage? Pride leads to stinginess. Next, 11, pride leads us to rely on our own wisdom and understanding. It brings out, it brings about an inability to see clearly, to think things through, to hear the word of the Lord. And this is what I've been talking about, all these televangelists, these international ministers that have failed because pride and arrogance puts a scale over the eyes and sluggish fat in the ears. And it doesn't give them the ability to see through their actions, to see what harm it would bring to their ministries, to their family, to the kingdom of God. When we have these failures in the kingdom, we all get a black eye through this. It affects every one of us because those who aren't in the kingdom say, "Uh uh-huh, well, that's how they are. Pride prevents one from hearing the word of the Lord. Pride prevents conviction. Now, in this horrible story of David and Bathsheba, what I appreciate is that when Nathan the prophet boldly came before the king and gave this little drosh, this story about a poor man and his sheep and how the rich man took the poor man's only prized possession, and David in a fury stands up and said, that person should be killed immediately. And Nathan said, you, my friend, are the rich man. And you took the wife, the only possession, the beloved possession of a poor man for yourself. See, it's about his own self-interest. 
But what I appreciate in this is immediately David did what? He had a burning sting in the heart. He had conviction, and he immediately repented. Hmm. Pride produces an independent or non-submissive spirit that leads us to adhere to the letter of the law, legalism, number 12, neglecting the spirit of the law. This is really prevalent in the Messianic realm. Are you orthomessy, or are you searching for God to have an intimate, loving relationship with him? This doesn't mean we negate Torah. It doesn't mean we negate holiness and obedience and listening to the commands and mitzvahs of the Lord. In fact, we were told in Deuteronomy 8 not to do that or we'll forget God. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about legalistic practices and adherence. Are you in this category? 13, pride causes impatience with others, calling it personal conflict. There are not personality conflicts in a mature body of Messiah. Can I say that again? There are no personality conflicts in a mature body of Messiah. There's no offense. A mature believer cannot be offended. It's not a question of who's right or who's wrong, but it's how do I respond? How do you respond? Is it in love? Is it looking at situations through the eyes of God? Or is it with judgment and saying, I've got a conflict with this person? 14, pride responds with judgment, slander, and criticism, sometimes speaking the truth to someone who doesn't have a right or a need to know. Do you do that? Do you slander others? Is there gossip? Is there uh, uber criticism? I've been on the receiving end of this in the last 21 years. It's very interesting. That's coming from a prideful, arrogant heart. Number 15, pride produces discontentment. Are you unhappy with where God has you and the people he has put with you? Are you always wanting to go somewhere else and do something else? You can't move to the next level until you blossom where you're at. An old comedic writer once said, Irma Bombeck, many of you know uh, who I'm talking about, she, once, she wrote a book that said, the grass is always greener over the septic tank. Just let that sink in for a second. It always looks like, oh, this is where I got to go. Then when you get there, what is it? It's a cesspool. If God has led you to where you're at, get your heart into the situation until you're content with where you're at, where he's led you. Stop looking. Every, we, and I've shared this before. I've shared this in the congregation. I've come across people in, in my 21 years of doing this who are professional, professional conference attendees. Whatever the latest fad is, whatever the latest most popular book is, whoever's on the top 10 of uh, you know traveling evangelists, that's where they're at. Uh, until the next dog and pony and circus comes into town a month later. Then it's that. Then it's this. Then it's that. Then those are people who are always searching, never finding, always learning, but never coming to the full knowledge of the power of God. Stop looking everywhere else. I, I said this about five or six years ago, and this ties in with this. Actually, it's been a little bit longer, more like eight or nine years ago. I, I'm not embellishing. I bet you I own over 500 books. I have Bookshelves at home are filled with books. My office is filled with books. My closet is filled with books. Our spare room is filled with books. Been there, done that. I was a voracious reader for years. And I come to the realization that in this, I was kind of ping-ponging all over the place. Uh, you know, here, here's the 10 steps, secret steps to healing. Hey, here, here's the three steps to er, intercessory prayer. Here's this, here's that, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I don't need all that stuff. There's only one book I need, and that's God's ineffable word. From Genesis to Revelation, everything I need is in that book. Now, does that mean I stop reading? No. I read leadership books. I read history books. To know where I'm going, 
I have to understand where we've been and to know that my, my destiny is not defined by my past, but by my prophetic calling. So I do read, but I've stopped reading all these, for the most part, ministry books. And, and wh- why is that? Be- because I want to prosper where I'm at. I don't want this ministry or that ministry. I just want to do what God wants me to do and do it to the best of my ability with a spirit of excellence. God does not authorize spiritual butterflies or spiritual bumblebees all over the place. James talks about this being tossed from wave to wave, to wave immaturity in the body. Grow where you're at. Sink your roots in and become all that God wants you to be. 16, pride needs to be begged to do something. A lot of people like that in the body of Messiah. It holds true for us still today. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It should be very prevalent when something needs to be done in the body. Listen, I walk around the building all the time. I pick up pieces of paper, stuff I see in the carpet. Uh, You know, I'm the rabbi. We have a cleaner. Should that person be doing it? No. We're all invested in this. We all have a calling to honor and to serve God. This is God's temple. If I see something out of place, I'm going to do everything in my ability to fix it. Someone doesn't have to beg me to do this. We should be willing to use our gifts and our abilities to serve Adonai with a spirit of excellence. 17, pride makes excuses before it begins. If the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, is going to receive the glory in and through your life, don't make excuses that rob the Spirit of God from receiving the glory. (laughs) just be silent and do what you've been asked to do. Don't make excuses. This is one of the traits of a humble servant, Abraham. He was known for immediate compliance of what Adonai called him to do. He didn't put together, listen, when God said, hey, you, get out of Haran, he didn't pull a thought tank group of people together a process group to start praying and interceding and start picking apart what God told him to do, he did it. If God asks you to do something, if he gives you a command, just do it. Don't make excuses. Pride and arrogance will make an excuse before it even begins. Next, 18, pride produces insecurity and low self-esteem. The way you can become the center of attention is by concentrating on your insecurity and your low self-esteem. Usually there's insecurity in our lives when we don't see God for who he is. This is an identity crisis. This actually is in synergy with, in parallel with, the victim mentality. And so when something happens in our lives, instead of saying, oh, God, heal me, we say, oh, God, why me? And the always brings the focus and the center upon that person with the insecurity and the low self-esteem. When you understand who you are within him, it puts your life in the proper perspective, and insecurity is completely removed. I see this in pulpits. I've been to places, I've been invited to speak, and immediately I see the insecurity in the pastor that, uh, you know, he, he doesn't understand the Hebrew like I do. Or, or you know, I, as you know, I'm a more gregarious, passionate speaker. Others aren't like that. And uh, listen, I, I enjoy having speakers here at our congregation that are better than me. I want to learn. I want to have a teachable spirit. Challenge me, oh God. I, I, you know, there's, I have no insecurity in my bima or in my calling. I know what he wants me to do. I know who I am in him. Who are you in God? 19, pride expects others to consult with us and is offended when we're not consulted. You know, what does this mean? That means that we don't have to be in the center of every action group. That means that the whole kingdom's not waiting upon us. That means we have to be humble and submit to what God is doing 
with or without us. Remember, a mature believer has no offense. What do you think? Number 20, pride demands that others go through what we went through. If something or a situation was required for you to get to a certain spiritual plateau, that it's got to be a requirement for everyone else? No. Matter of fact, our goal, even in doing this, we do these Kadiba talks, and why I do what I do is to bring enlightenment and the power of God into your life that you won't make the same mistakes I've made. My goal is to see you be even greater than what we're doing now. We're raising up the next generation, Lador Vador, and we walk through this. This is why you want a gray-haired person uh, you know, walking through this with you that you don't fall to the same mistakes, traps, and snares that we've learned over the last 40 or 50 years. Have you ever felt this way? They got to go through what you went through to get here? I pray not. 21, pride is envious and jealous. Now, we've talked about this a little bit already, so you see how these things intertwine with each other. Do you not rejoice with others' blessings when God is doing something supernatural in your life, but rather concentrate on why you weren't blessed? Pride is the heart of selfishness. Pride is the heart of envious and jealousy. And so it amazes me how, again, when people start moving victoriously, when God starts, you know, again, Yeshua, every time he did something supernatural, the Pharisees and Sadducees, what they want to do? Hug and kiss him? No, they wanted to throw him off cliffs. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to get rid of him. Why? They were jealous. Huh. 22, pride always wants to be strong. Do you want to receive from others or to be vulnerable so that you can receive? You know, this comes with tithing and giving. You know what the hardest thing to do is? To receive. People say, oh, Lord, I, I, you know, I, I want to get the winning lottery ticket. I want to be a millionaire so I can be a giver in the kingdom. But people want to do that because when you give, you're in control. When you receive, you're not in control. Now, if you're a giver, I, I, you listen, don't, don't take this the wrong way. Because a lot of people are great givers and, and don't walk away from this uh, with the wrong understanding. If you want to receive from others, you've got to be vulnerable that you're able to receive. Pride always says, I got to be the giver. But the humble says, thank you for this gracious gift. I honor you, O Lord, for taking care of every need in my life. 23, pride produces submission. You've no doubt heard it said, I'll submit to them because I feel that they're spiritually mature, but I won't submit to that person. Have you learned to submit to each other? Have you learned to submit to each person under whose authority God places you? He does it for a purpose. I experienced this in 22 years of naval service. I've been under some of the best leaders. I've been under mediocre leaders. I've been under horrible leaders. But every one of those cases, God has given me great insight, and I thank God for putting me in every one of those places. He does it for a purpose. He's doing it to teach you. I would have guys in in our service to say, well, you know, uh, this chief I'm going to follow, but not that chief. Uh, hey, it doesn't work that way. We have to submit to authority, and we have to do it with a humble and contrite heart because, again, as Yeshua said in Mark 9, if you want to lead, you first must learn how to serve. 24, pride creates disloyalty and undermines authority. It is the Absalom meeting people when they come out from David. He hugs and kisses them and says, oh, poor David doesn't understand. Come tell Absalom all about it. Have you been guilty of undermining authority because of pride? This, is, this, this creates rebellion. 
It creates division and congregation splits to be disloyal and undermine authority. Look at Korach, right? All of a sudden now, he stands up and says, what? God only speaks to Moses and Aaron, and the next morning there's 250 other leaders with Korach. It brought about a great time of judgment upon Israel because of this rebellion. Pride creates disloyalty, and it will undermine authority. 25, pride is ungrateful. Things are never good enough. I've met numerous people like this over my years that no place is ever good enough. No rabbi or pastor is ever good enough. No relationship is ever good enough. Listen, I'm going to tell you a secret. Don't tell the others. When people come here to the congregation and they reveal that they've been in five other congregations in the last 10 years, unless a supernatural move of God occurs, I'm pretty sure another year or two they'll be leaving here as well. Pride is ungrateful. 26, pride is suspicious. Are you wondering what others are saying about you, suspecting what somebody may be thinking when there hasn't been any word communicated? You know, pride is suspicious when you look around the congregation. You see three people over there laughing and, and having a good time. They kind of look at you, and you think immediately, oh, what are they saying about me? What gossip? What slander? They're laughing at me. But listen, somehow you think you know. Therefore, you act and make decisions based on what you think people are thinking, which is always in error. Pride is suspicious. Are you suspicious? 27, pride concentrates on what has not been done. You know, I've never been invited to their home. I've never been invited out to dinner by Rabbi Rabitzin. They've never had me over for dinner. Stop concentrating on yourself. Listen, have you ever invited them out for a meal? Have you ever invited them for 30 meals? Have you invited them for a party? Listen, this goes two ways. I can tell you as a leader, as a congregation leader uh, of over 300 people, almost 400, we can't get to everybody all the time. This is why we love the congregational events where we can mingle with everybody. That's great. Uh, but, you know, to be in that position, pride concentrates on you, on yourself, and what has not been done for you. Hmm. And lastly, pride insists. I am, I was right. I don't, I won't humble myself. Have you ever been so right you were wrong? John Bevere has a great teaching. You can be right and be wrong. It's all about in the presentation and how you operate in the kingdom of God. Pride insists I'm always right. Well, a humble heart says, oh, we're changing direction. I guess we're going to do this instead of that. There are no easy ways to stop pride from operating in our lives. The influence of pride is in every level of society. The world thrives on it. And it's something that we have to guard against every moment, every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, and it never ends. You don't reach a place that, well, I've been serving God for 30 years now. There's no pride. That's a prideful statement <laughs> because that means that you're arrogant and haughty. A commitment to change and keeping to that commitment is how we begin. And Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, look at the proud. He is inwardly not upright, but the righteous will attain life through trusting and faithfulness. And finally, James 4, verse 6 says, But the grace he gives is greater, which is why it says God opposes the arrogant, but to the humble he gives grace. Remember, grace is that favor before Adonai, that unmerited love, loving kindness and favor we get from God in that Yeshua died while we were still yet sinners. That's the grace. And thank God we have Yeshua, that we can ask him to come into our— In Revelation, he says he stands at your heart and knocks, let him in. In. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to go through your life to remove every ounce of pride and arrogance within you that you could be humble and contrite before him and have that intimate relationship with him. Pride will cause ministries and ministers to fail. A humble and contrite heart will lead to success and victory in the kingdom of God. Mishpocha, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.